Hello everyone and welcome to the Winging F1 podcast. This is going to be a bit of a news episode, a bit of a look ahead to the Bahrain testing that's coming up this week at the end of this week. And yeah, just a little catch up before the season gets underway and we get to see the cars at the track where they will begin the season on the 20th of March, my birthday. But before all of that, we need to introduce the people who I am joined with, <laughs> Nigel Chu and Freddie Coates. Nigel and Freddie, how are you? Not too bad, Adam. Not too, not too bad at all. Uh, yeah, don't know what else to say. <laughs> I'm really good. I'm, I'm really happy for testing to finally start. <clears throat> You're not all yes. right. You've clearly got a disease. Yes, I have. <laughs> I've had a cold for a while, but it's more annoying than harmful. It's more annoying to the people around me, actually. Um, oh, no. Just like Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think I went to America? What? Anyway, um, so hey, I'm not got a cold though. No, that's true. And it was 27 degrees here a few days ago, and yeah, I still had a cold. How does that work? I don't know. America. Um, have you got any plans for my birthday? No, actively, actively shunning it as a day of celebration. Right. You're I'm not going to watch the race. I'm going to do that. Oh, okay, um, but that's I'm going to focus on that instead of you deliberately. Okay, yeah. I think there might be some FA Cup matches on that day, so I'll probably watch that. Thinking of you, Adam. Okay, thank you. I'll appreciate it. Well, Preston's not in the FA Cup anymore, so uh, I don't think Country City are either. So it's a bit of a bit of a screw. But anyway, we'll move move on to some news. Or Freddie's got some. He's pointing his finger at the camera in a very. Uh, this is for audio listeners. In a very, I've got something to say. Way so I'll open the floor out to you, Freddie. I was just going to say, I'll bake you a cake and eat it myself and tell you how good it is and not let you have any of it. Can you film yourself eating it so I get some of the effect? No, because then I actually have to do it. Oh, okay. Well, that that eases my mind slightly that when I get a message saying, hi, I baked you a cake and then I ate it all myself, then I can know that he didn't actually do it. But See, Nigel thinks I did that when it was his birthday. Now Now he knows it was just a fake text. Ah, he doesn't even know this is a joke. He actually thinks I genuinely said that. <laughs> well, he can he can come up and invade your flat. To be fair, so it's not really. No, uh, he can't. We locked the door now because he kept doing that. Oh, okay, that's that's understandable. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll move move on to some F one after that jolliness. Um, Hass, what is going on at Hass? Well, they've got rid of Nikita Mazamin and cut the. Uh, tied in sponsorship with your alkali and now they're in a bit of a pickle they've got one driver going into the season so far they've got a plane that may not arrive to the test on time with their car and with their parts to be able to start the test currently it's looking like Pietro Fittipaldi will be in the test if they do get to run that and possibly in the first couple of races of the season, he is the Haas kind of official third driver. But yeah, Freddie, what do you kind of make of the situation and where do you see them going in the immediate future? Um, in the immediate future, um, I expect it just to be a case of it seemingly to being weather every storm. Um, it's been it's been rough for Haas recently, but they're they're you know they're getting on with it. Fittipaldi has pretty much confirmed to do the test. Um, Gene has said that to the Associated Press um, on Sunday. And they didn't, haven't actually put any confirmation about the first few races, uh, but that's 
heavily kind of expected, particularly with the first race being in Bahrain, the next race being a week later in Saudi Arabia. Um, whether they can, what they can do after that with potential options, basically mainly being Antonio Giovinazzi and Nico Hulkenberg, really depends on what they can get organised. Um, Giovinazzi obviously is contracted to a Formula E campaign, but it's probably possible to do a bit of that around um, a Haas seat as well, around an F1 seat. What with um, what with there being a sort of half season for Formula E with it ending in mid-season for other motorsport seasons and Giovinazzi can then finish out the season for Haas but that's all contractual talks that's going to be seemingly going on over the next couple of weeks for Haas rather than as many expected in the next couple of days um, it's, it just seems to be a case with that team of fighting fires when they arise rather than getting any steady momentum but it's the best time to have all your problems at the start of the season really and then to get rid of them before the first race, you could say. So hopefully from Bahrain testing, it's all up from there for them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just difficult. It's not been a great couple of years for Haas. In the first test, they completed the least amount of laps as well. Then obviously the Russia-Ukraine situations uh, has meant that Mazepin is no longer in F1, which personally I think is a good thing, but for the team, it's not what they would have been uh, thinking about. They, would, they wouldn't have even considered it you know, 30 days ago. So it's not ideal uh, not having a driver, especially if you're going to have a driver who hasn't done, done any testing and then you've thrown him in in the first race. That's not what you want at all. So it's a difficult situa- situation. Uh, and I guess, like Freddie said, the only way is up for them. And Freddie, what do you think about the decision to remove Nikita Mazepin? And yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Because he's a driver that we have criticised, I think, fairly on the podcast uh, previously and has a lot of off-the-track issues. So yeah, you want to speak a bit about that? Um, yeah, well, the, 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 the official line reason not official line necessarily because there's not been so much put out there by Haas but the official reason really legally is that the money's not there so the drive isn't there um for Nikita Mazepin it and really that is the case because from the FIA perspective he is allowed to race um but then from a sponsorship perspective he's not able to be sponsored to race and that's why he isn't in the seat um I feel like um, he, his reaction to it on Twitter, where he basically said he would follow all the FIA guidelines and that has apparently been ignored, is a little bit contrite, um, a little bit odd. You feel like he could have been a bit more um, soft about the fact that clearly the issue hasn't come from that and it feels a little bit naive for him to think it's come from seemingly him him not really wanting to be... in People just wanting to kick him out, but... Um, he's not really taking the line on that. He seems to think he's being kicked out. And I think, you know, to be honest, yeah, it is also a kind of way to get rid of him and a way to just pick up that team from essentially a very political driver who was political within the team as well as just a political presence in, like you say, Adam, um, off-track and on-track kind of controversy. Um, it, yeah, it's it was uncomfortable him being there in the first place. I think we all understand pay drivers, but I think there's more to it with Nikita Mazepin that we all understand. And 
it was just, yeah, it's just, it's a shame it's came to this for him not to be in an F1 seat. It's a shame it came for um, an international war where everything is so much bigger than measly F1, frankly, so much bigger than um, any, any sports person, which just frankly seems minuscule endeavors are slightly pathetic when you compare it to the global situation um but yeah it's it seems it's the right move for Haas isn't it it's definitely the right move for Haas and it's the right move for an, a team which everyone's kind of was starting to believe was a Russian team to think you know what no 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 and to regain their their um their position hmm. yeah I- there's a whole well, go on, go on, Adam. Uh, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think it, it's best for the sport, first of all, that he's not in it. I don't think he should have been in, you know, have a drive in the first place, given what he's done. And I'm glad now that he is out of it. I think it, you know, just kind of look at, looking at the whole situation, like even a month ago, even two months ago, six months ago, it, it just looked like Hasser on this kind of road to becoming a Mazepin team or a Euroclite team or, you know, basically being, you know, under the under the umbrella of Dimitri Mazepin and, and that being the situation. So I think the, you know, it kind of looking at how quickly things change, it's a reminder of how quickly things can change in sport, even when we, you know, it can't see, you know, how that would happen. And, um, you know, it's going to be tough for Haas because, you know, that was their, that was their big backing and that was kind of where they, you know, going into this season, it looked like they were steady and, um, you know, while I don't think all of us were really optimistic about them, it did feel like they had at least a steady kind of ship going into it. But here we are. And yeah, I think it will say a lot about kind of where Gene House wants to take the team, um, depending on who they, who they bring in to fill that seat. Nigel. There's a much bigger argument in sport about whether, whether athletes and sponsors should be, uh, able to compete with teams or sponsor teams and some people will say oh just because they're Russian and they might even support Ukraine they should be, they should be like allowed to compete and stuff like that but you got to think about this Ukrainian sports people like Alexander Rusik the heavyweight world champion boxer he stopped his sport to go out and fight so if Ukrainians are having to stop and they can't compete for me it's only fair that Russians can't compete, no matter what their opinion is and whether they support Putin or not. Because there was there was a, a Ukrainian biathlete who was 19 years old. They went out to fight, and sadly, they lost their life. And for something that is completely out, out of their hands. So this whole argument about Russian athletes in sport uh, getting being hindered or not being allowed to race or or, or stuff like that. I just like it's tough for me to sympathise with them, you know. Uh, even if they don't support Putin's actions, I do sympathise a little bit for the officials and 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 people who are working in the UK, like marshals who 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 might be Russian because they can't do their job at the moment after the statement last week. So there's a bit of sympathy there, but for Mazepin specifically, I I really don't sympathise at all with, with, with him losing his, 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 his Haas drive. I think um, I will add as well, um, Haas are still stable um, as a team. The Ural Kali sponsorship 
really was there to bridge the gap following COVID, which was really, really hard for every team in Formula One. And so by extension, was much harder for Haas. And really, Gene Haas wasn't willing to put too much of his own money into it um, before there was really a kind of steady structure for for pay for Formula One teams and for a level playing field um, in Formula One, which since then there, there is now. In from 2021, there has been. So really, Gene Haas either he eats his words and doesn't doesn't have any, like you say, commitment um, to this team. It doesn't have the, the, the um, doesn't have the right objective, or you know, it's where he. It's where it's at the point now where he can fundamentally feel safe to put his own money into it and not be at essentially entering a, a kind of Ponzi scheme or something where you just throw money at it and get nothing back. Um, so Haas is in a better position with money by a long shot than it was when um, when Ural Kali came on board. Yes. Yeah, it's it's... I think, you know, the fact that this is happening a year later and they are kind of out of the worst of COVID is, you know, a kind of one silver lining, albeit very thin. Um, but yeah, there's kind of lots to watch on that team. And just to throw one more name out there that I don't think any of us have mentioned yet, Oscar Piastri, who reigning F2, uh, F3, although well, obviously not reigning now, but F2, F3 and a Formula Renault Euro Cup champion three years in a row, doesn't have a seat for this year. He's an Alpine junior driver, and I believe the Alpine reserve driver for this year. Do you think, you know, do you think there's any possibility of him getting the seat? What do you think needs to fall into place for that to happen? It doesn't seem very likely. Uh, there's hardly any links. In fact, there's no, been no links between Haas and Alpine ever in F1. And... Yes, it's a driver everyone wants to see because we want to see the best drivers on the grid and the F2 champion should be there. But realistically, it's not going to happen. It's going to be between Giovinazzi, Fittipaldi, maybe Hulkenberg. Uh, yeah, I don't see Piastri, unfortunately, getting the seat. Yeah, I agree. Piastri is not, not going to get the seat, in my opinion. Um, Gene has also, when he said that um, uh, the stuff about Fittipaldi doing the test and all of that, um, he was in the same interview, he said that they're after someone more experienced than Fittipaldi, which um, basically means they're after someone who isn't a rookie. So they're not going to go for Piastri. End of. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's unlikely, which is a shame because, as you say, we want to see yeah. the best drivers on the grid. And, uh, you know, I think Oscar Piastri fits into that. They could have a team with the, the last two F2 champions, yeah. which, you know, would be exciting. But like they're going to go in that direction so yeah there's a lot to watch out for with Haas we will continue to update on our podcast as and when news breaks would you guys pick Giovinazzi or Fittipaldi because those two seem to be the leading contenders which ones would you rather have in the seat yeah it's really really tricky because I think yeah Giovinazzi you know at the end of the day he did hold his own against Raikkonen and when he poked, poked his head up above the parapet he was Sometimes exceptional, but a lot of time he was middling. So it's really what you've seen with that. Um, Fittipaldi, only in the two races he did, um, was actually very good. But whether that was very good at being middling, who knows? We don't know what his glass ceiling is. Um, I feel like Fittipaldi and Giovinazzi would both be excellent in that team. I think Fittipaldi 
obviously is so, so well loved in that team. He's really well liked. He's been there for five years or so now and is still there and is still very, very well coordinated there. I think Giovinazzi would be given a G up by getting another chance, to be honest. And that would, you know, that works wonders for any driver, I think. Um, so who knows? Who knows? I think it's really a kind of weird case in the fact that both of them have the potential to be, I think, good middling drivers. I think Giovinazzi, over the course of his entire career, if we count junior career in this as well, has shown that he has pace that is extremely fast. I think Fittipaldi has shown that he's a good driver, but not extremely fast. So I think out of those two, I'd take Giovinazzi. I would. Okay. Okay. I, I definitely agree. I mean, Fittipaldi, his his junior racing career just doesn't kind of show anything really. He got the super license by kind of the easiest method possible if you were plotting it out. And he got the, uh, when the World Series V8 formula uh, 3.5, I believe, which, you know, yeah. he kind of one of its last year as a championship where it had way too many points for what it actually was and what it showed. So um, I think, he, I, I do think he kind of showed better than I expected him to when he came in for those races with Hass at the uh, end of the 2020 season. And, you know, I, I kind of thought in terms of the two, he was kind of on a par with Jack Aitken or maybe even Alshon Jack Aitken a bit. I'm not sure about those two coming in a similar situation. So, you know, I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's like the worst driver to have in that situation, but you know, I completely, I completely take, uh, um, Giovinazzi kind of just you know off he's a known commodity See I think I would rather see a driver who hasn't really raced in F1 in a full season than a driver who's had three or four years in F1 and just had the time to shine and hasn't I would rather see someone who's a new driver quite frankly even, even no matter yeah. what the junior record is you never know when you get into an F1 car the style's different, the way you have to drive it, the environment, everything's different. And it might suddenly just be Fittipaldi. You, you know, it, it could. It's not likely, but there's still that chance. And we know Giovinazzi, his peak, well, we he hasn't really delivered. And so I wouldn't mind it if Fittipaldi got the nod. Uh, I don't know if you two want to come back at me with, 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 with that. No, no, I completely get it. I mean, it's something I normally say on this kind of thing is to go for the left field choice and <laughs> go for a, a driver who I think, oh, this guy's really good. No one's ever heard of. Like, it's, that's normally my route. So I'm all up for um, just any, you know, a, a cool young driver. And I think Pietro Fittipaldi is that. I'm all up for different storylines, giving people chances and so on. I think the the kind of only thing, I agree, it's, you know, it for more F1 drivers getting getting the opportunity to show what they can do, that is a good thing. I think my my main kind of um, uh, counter to that is I'd like to see how Mick does in a car against a kind of seasoned opponent as well. And, you know, if he's had a season season with Mazepin and a season with Pietro Fittipaldi, it's kind of, you know, if it, it's quite hard to judge on that. So, you know, I, I, can, see, I can see the reasoning for you swayed me with that point, actually. You saying that—that's a great point. You swayed me. <laughs> well, that's that's what you're I'm awful at debate, Nigel. 
I know, I can't. No, that is a genuinely good point, though. The only other point I've got is that Bitter Powdy brings in some money, like uh, Mazapid, he brings in the Telemex sponsor. He brings it anyway. Still need bit. Yeah, true. I forgot. <laughs> He's already the reserve <laughs> driver. I mean, there is there is um an element um an element in his contract that means should a situation arise where um there is need for a reserve driver, he has to be used um as reserve driver. Um, that is in his contract um because of the sponsorship money that's provided. So it depends um what can be interpreted interpreted as a situation arising, considering this is this all went into action. Um, at least two or three weeks before the first race. Um, but whether that means he gets one or two races, which you all seem to think anyway, but whether that means that's contractual rather than um, to buy time, we don't know. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think it would be cool to see Piaccio given another shot being in Formula One just because, yeah, you know, he didn't disgrace himself last time. It's not like he came in and was dire as a reserve driver. Yeah. He was a good reserve driver and he knows the process of that team inside out. He's the, one of the longest serving employees of that team just in just in general. <laughs> so yeah, why not, I think why not reward loyalty in that regard? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he uh, does go. Um, and, you know, it, it looks like he'll get some opportunity in the seat and you know, I also think Haas can play it by ear and by eye a bit and see how he goes and whether they feel the need to replace him. And just, uh, I, I was just going to add this in for people who uh, might have been wondering, this is Pietro Fittipaldi we're talking about because there is a large, large uh, Fittipaldi yeah. clan across junior racing. He's the grandson of two-time champion Emerson Fittipaldi. So yeah, just to clear that up for anyone who was wondering. Anything else to say on this? There's just something incredibly retro about a driver, a driver's seat being sort of hop in, hop out, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, it's something very, um, it's something that you kind of really haven't seen since sort of proper wheeler dealer F1, like proper Eddie Jordan kind of just like, oh, we'll do a deal to do this race. Like it was done in kind of a bad way by the back market teams in sort of 2010, 2011, when they'd be like, oh, I've done a deal for this guy to do this race and this guy to do this race, that kind of thing. Like that was, that was when it was silly. But when it's kind of like, I don't know, just getting drivers in because they're good and like saying, oh, we've got to get a driver and just get a good driver. Let's have a look for a good driver, that kind of thing. I don't know. It takes me back to the 90s, which I don't remember, but it takes me back to the Which bit. me and Nigel <laughs> never experienced. Uh, yeah. And, and <clears throat> just finally, finally, Schumacher and Fittipaldi would be the best surname F1 team <laughs> ever. I think the... Not since yeah, Villeneuve I, and Hill, arguably, I think. For the, I, I, was, for, I was thinking of those, but... You know, nine championships between them, I think, kind of uh, cast a bit of a shadow on Villeneuve Hill or, you know, puts them in the shade a tad. Um, but yeah, we'll move on to that, but stay on Russia because the Russian Grand Prix has been terminated and its contract has been terminated. Um, obviously, Sochi for this year has already been cancelled and there was plans to move to Igora Drive going forward. But that is now seemingly off the table and it's part of a kind of general worldwide sports boycott of Russia that we've already discussed pertaining to individuals. And I don't think there's really been anything like this since the kind of apartheid sports boycott in the 80s. And F1 was a part of that as well in the latter stages of it. But yeah, just kind of, I, I don't know whether there is too much discussion to be had on it, but Nigel, what's your kind of 
you know, thoughts or I mean, reassurance. Right to do. Just, I'm glad F1 has done it relatively early as well because, yeah. you know, saying that they're not going to go this year is one thing, but saying they're not going to go next year, that's a pretty big step because who knows what's going to happen over the next 12 months. So <clears> a very good decision from F1. I think it makes a point. It makes, it makes a statement. And if F1 doesn't go back to Russia for another 10, 20, 30 years, that's fine by me, quite frankly. Yep, it's for the foreseeable future, which is a long way away. And that's fine by me. Yes, yeah, it being, you know, it, it, it's, it's just completely the right sensible decision. And it's, you know, F1 kind of making that statement because Russia was one of the... Um, <sighs> The, the Grand Prix from countries that are trying to use sport to legitimise dodgy actions and, you know, the fact that they're kind of bringing that away is, is can only be a good thing. And, you know, there's, there'll always be people who point to other um, races or say, you know, if you're not outraged at all of these, then, you know, you shouldn't be outraged at one. But, yeah, I think it's completely yeah, well, the right decision. Not start a war, have they? <laughs> oh, yeah, quite. Even if even if it was Britain, then I would say there shouldn't be a British Grand Prix. You know. But anyway, let's move yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> and, and on that, it's just kind of like um if you start criticizing for one good thing not being a completely different of not being a uh, a reaction to a different bad thing, then what are you saying? Just kind of like, oh just do nothing. I mean, come on, no. Don't don't give that time of day. To be honest, let's just not talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the things that frustrates me most about the world today, among many things. Um, but yeah, so that's that's <laughs> Sorry, the end. that's that's okay. It's uh, it's the internet. Um, but yeah, that's the end of all of the Russia talk. But just to work, you know. Sports and now for Adam's five G conspiracy corner. Ah, uh, I've still not got 5G, so I get adverts about it, but I've got a good enough phone. Anyway, oh, Freddie's shown a screen, lock screen to us, so yeah, if you're I lucky enough to be watching, then lucky you. But yeah, I moving forget. on to the other the other piece of news that has come out, which is Verstappen has had his contract extended at Rebel until 2028, when I will be mass 27 and Freddie will be 37. Uh, Nigel, what do you kind of, were you surprised at the length of it? You know, it, it seems to make sense for Rebel to lock down their star. I think it does absolutely make sense. And it's the perfect fit. Verstappen, his style, his personality on the track is so aggressive and attacking. And that just suits Red Bull's kind of mantra, how they go racing. So, it's one of those relationships which, just like how somebody was at McLaren and then he left, obviously. But at the moment, I can't see Verstappen leaving Red Bull. He's got no reason to unless they drop down to fifth or sixth worst car. Uh, he's he's been with them since 2014 in, in when he when he was in F3, and he just seems to love them. I don't. I think he just wants to enjoy his driving, and clearly the team. It's a fun environment everything is perfect at the moment really so it doesn't surprise me too much and i think everyone wins from it yeah it's it's it is everybody wins i agree it's it's um max basically fulfilling him him his love for the team and it's rebel keeping their winning driver 
and Max gets a lot of money out of it. And Rebel have got a lot of money from sponsorship because of Max's driving. Over we've we've reported on the Oracle and the the Bybit deals where they've got essentially 150 million quid coming in a year. So um, that's you know great, and that come you know it works as a winning partnership between the two of them. So keep it going. That's logic. Yeah, yeah. It'd be, I, it'd be weird. Well, not weird. It'd be incredible if they if they carried on until twenty twenty eight. I don't think we've ever seen any driver stable with no. the team for more than twelve years. That would be unprecedented. Yeah, that'd be that'd just be mind blowing. I mean, it's not, and also it's kind of he didn't he wasn't with Red Bull for kind of ages before before yeah. he went into F1. It's I don't know if it's a mis- misconception or just the fact that he got into F1 so early, but mm. he signed in 2014. Alex Albon was at the academy before that or the driver programme. And, um, you know, he has just been a part of them in F1 for so long and kind of it's not too long before he'll be coming up to 10 years in F1. And it's just like being such a such a rapid, um, such kind of rapid rise to be an F1 driver and then just staying for so, so long there. And, you know, it's like all contracts, they'll, you know, there'll be ways out if things do turn sour or go south. And that's always the case. But as a statement to say, we have got the, arguably the best driver in the world right now, probably the best driver in the world right now. And we are locking him down until 2028 is huge. Uh, Verstappen is currently 12th on the list for Grand Prix with the same, Constructor, um, wow. Wow. Um, and that's level with um, Vettel at Ferrari. So there's one more Grand Prix, then he's above that anyway. So it's it's pretty mad that uh, it's pretty mad. Does that count his? I'm assuming that doesn't count his Toro Rosso. No, that's just with Red Bull. No. That's with Red Bull. But if you add um, mind blowing, what, yeah. Uh, 23, 24 races to that, that put yeah. put him just mental maths, that would put him about um fourth on the list, fifth on the list. Um listeners can hear the cogs turning, especially you've got headphones yes. in. Mm. Yeah. There was, there was speculation that Mustafa might join Mercedes and, and usurp Hamilton when he leaves F1. So no. the only thing from this is that for me is for me is that it does put the spotlight more on Russell and whether he can deliver or not and whether he will be the driver to take over Hamilton uh, because, say, Russell doesn't perform, perform that well this year, then Mercedes probably would have looked to Verstappen, but now they can't. So that is the only other thing from it, for me, with this contract news. Yeah, it's... I mean, you know, I as I say, I imagine if if... Mercedes and Verstappen really, really want to get a deal done. There's always a way, but yeah, it, it really kind of locks locks off that um, kind of most mostly. But you know, it's it's kind of been the way. And obviously, Leclerc signed his monster contract, and it's you know they're they're all the teams and Norris as well. There although his wasn't as long. There are teams positioning to you know get their stars locked down. It's kind of approaching a battle royale. Phase and to be honest, I can't really see a reason why Verstappen would leave. Even you know the way Red Bull have fought back over most of his time there. To be honest, um, fought back from being just not in the running for a lot of the lot of the uh, V6 era so far, and then 
you know, just really ground their way back up the up the ranking and close the gap to Mercedes. I think that gives me huge confidence that even if they're not there um, this season, then there's a reason, there's plenty of reasons to stick by them for the long haul. And that is all of the stuff. That's all of the news, really. But something that will Verstappen will be involved in his first official track outing since signing the contract is the Bahrain test, the first pre-season test of the year, if you believe F1 marketing, or if you're normal, then it's the second test of the year, and it's obviously at the same track. The season opener will be at. There's a few, well, you know, we expect teams to be bringing significantly upgraded cars from what they had at Barcelona. So, Freddie, what are you kind of looking out for over this week? Anything in particular, or just seeing where things sit Oh, well, we've got a whole load of upgrades coming, don't we? We've got a B-spec car for Merck, B-spec car for Red Bull. Um, so, and I think B-spec for Alpine. I'm not sure though, um, on that. Alpine are just weird. Um, but really what we're just looking out for is more of the same from the Barcelona test, really. Uh, this is where really teams should be now refining. They should be figuring out what they're doing and essentially hopefully we'll get some performance runs because we will be having some representative running because the last hour of the Bahrain test is it is under lights so we should be getting some performance running in the afternoon session I would imagine it would be foolish not to Um, they really should be honing the setup and seeing what they can do with different tyres and in different temperatures uh, across the day because yes it's in Bahrain yes the race is in Bahrain but you know you can simulate a lot in Bahrain being with the whole day and with all five tyre compounds available um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens because because a lot could a lot could have changed since Barcelona um, there are a lot of there's a lot of talk that the uh, regulate the new changes that have been brought in by a lot of the teams because they've been put onto they've been shared with the FIA and apparently they're not in the spirit of the regulations. So, I mean, I'm so not surprised. I think I've probably said on this podcast, and I've definitely said off podcast to people, give engineers regulations to make cars able to follow, and straight away they'll be making their, seeing how they can make their car hard to follow. It's, it's, just, it's just the mind of a racer. So it will be interesting to see a rumbling debate about that, presumably from four o'clock on Wednesday. I think the development race has started now. Well, you could argue it started last year, but it's kind of proper because we get to see them in, 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 the, in the second test. Uh, so, and if they don't work, if those upgrades don't work, then so the teams will be on, on the back foot and that will affect them for the first, first few races. So it'll be key to get that right. And we're going to have full access to the live timing as well. So we can see race stints, which is when <clears throat> which is when we'll, we'll be able to see which teams are performing well when there's lots of fuel on board. So it's all just very exciting. And uh, I think the final hour on the Saturday, we're going to get something similar to last year when we had, I think it was Sonoda and Verstappen, they were going for it. And then it was Verstappen who went fastest. And then a week later, he was on pole. So you do get a good indicator as to who is looking good and hopefully we should get that this weekend. Yeah, it's it's um, especially that last hour, like you say, is going to be something to keep an eye on and um, I guess the other thing to note is Pirelli have 
announced their uh, tie compounds for the season opener in Bahrain, and they're going to be a step harder for than last season. So it's going to be C1, C2, and C3, with C2, C3 being the softest. Um, so yeah, the teams are going to be going in with much more information and know what, um, yeah, where they're going to be standing. And it, yeah, it, it will be a lot to a lot for the teams to look at. But do you do you think they'll have sorted out or made steps to sort out the porpoising issue because it's not been that long since Barcelona testing and it's at a different track entirely but at the same time you know they they've only got a week and a bit till the season starts and they need to have something sorted by then they'll have made steps but they won't have sorted it out they will not have sorted it out this is going to be a problem for years um and and Bahrain's not a track nor is Barcelona where it's that awful of a problem apparently from that's what I hear from people cleverer than me. Um, I can't tell you why, but yes. Um, why they're really, cleverer than you? Oh uh, yeah, exactly that. Um, okay. Really, so. with with um, ground effect, the best way to test it is to put it on the ground. And with such limited testing, this is the only testing they're going to get. So maybe there's a CFD problem or um, or a wind tunnel way of figuring it out. But really, it's a really really difficult one to actually sort out until you're running the car anyway. So there's, there's even probably an argument to be made for the fact that they won't have made any progress on this issue. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm potentially yeah, leading towards. Um, but, you know, it's like we say, F1 moves quickly and, um, you know, they do. You'd hope that they'd have made steps seeing as they're going to be on track before too long. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot to look out for. And I can't wait. I can't wait to see where where things are at. But just kind of finally, the the other kind of question I wanted to ask is like where how do you think it is do you think it's a good thing that they're having testing on the same track that they're going to be racing on in a few weeks? Because that was one one of the criticisms of Barcelona as a testing and a race venue is that teams turn up with so much data um on you know the track and now they're going to kind of have that but only turning up the next week to to be racing means nothing oh yeah i think in terms of an ex- having an exciting race or not just last year the bahrain race was absolutely brilliant it was arguably the race of the year so it doesn't make a difference at all uh yeah i don't think there's anything to it really yeah teams are going to have data of every track they go to they're going to um and particularly considering we've been to the majority of the tracks in the calendar for the past um, 20 years, they're going to have data that they had from last year from a full-on race. So it's better than testing anyway. So really the criticisms against Barcelona being the same place they test at, nah, that's nothing. That's just an excuse to criticise Barcelona, really. And it's not that's not the reason that races can be bad at Barcelona. That's the awkward, tight, narrow, medium-speed corners and, and the conditions are massively different anyway, just week on week, never mind month on month. And the conditions make a massive difference to everything. So it really doesn't matter. Actually. Well, there we go. That's all of our testing talk <laughs> rounded up. And yeah, we'll be looking at what happens with interest over the next few days into the end of the week. But something else that's we're going to be watching with interest maybe over the next few days is Drive to Survive, which comes maybe. out. In, I don't know, people might not have Netflix. I didn't have Netflix before. I'm not watching it. (laughs) Exactly, there you go. You laugh. Um, Yeah, it's coming out on Friday. Freddie, seeing as you are 
the keenest Drive to Survive fan out of all of us. What do you think about the series? What are you, are you looking forward to it more than usual, less than usual? How are you feeling? Oh, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for F1 content, really. That's where I lie. But um, I think it's great. It's nice to see. It's always not been nice to see Formula One become mainstream. And Drive to Survive's done that. And it's nice to see it in a different different way to the way I view it, which is from a nerdy, oh, I'm going to talk about this on a podcast way, rather than a, um, oh, this is this is us distilling this for the masses. Um, like the masses, masses, not just F1 masses. So it's it's great. I'm, I think it's just a fantastic thing for F1. I do think, you know, it has rights for criticism and as a series, they do bend the truth on a few things, but I kind of feel like you have to do that for documentaries sometimes, particularly one that's so restricted in the making of As Drive to Survive, that you kind of have to take what they're given a bit and what they're given isn't necessarily what they want to get 10 episodes, in my opinion. Um, so I'm going to defend them on that. Um, but I do think they should... I think okay. some, some of the things, some of the things, I mean, in particular, the the Science Norris rivalry. Yeah, it's stupid. Year, and it's the, stupid, you know, but what some, else some are they going to say? Well, Just, you know, don't put, put in a radio, don't, put, <laughs> don't put in a radio message that makes it look like they're having a, you know, having a crash or having a fight when they're not. I think that, you know, I don't think that's really to do with what the content they've got. I think that's just not you know what the sport needs that's not kind of indicative of my wider view but i just think mm. you know some things i think you know it aren't necessary or aren't kind of forced on them by a lack of content i agree that um that stuff is bad and shouldn't be there i think my caveat for it is that i think i wouldn't know what they would put in its place based on what they're able to film particularly during 2020 and 2021 those i think i think from this year onwards i think there does need to be a rejig on how they do it to keep the show fresh and i think they need to focus on storylines in front of them rather than trying to do a glorified season review because that is already done by everyone in november december exactly so um that's not what drive to survive is drive to survive is a fly on the wall and i think that covid has hampered that and i think that's going to be pretty obvious in this series as well as it was in the 2020 series um it hasn't got gone back to where it was in series one and series two in my opinion and from what i've heard from people who've seen season four they agree so i'd be interested to see where drive survive goes in the future but i'm definitely going to watch it because i like seeing more of formula one i like seeing exclusive interviews with drivers where they're a bit more candid i like seeing the same with team bosses so yeah hopefully um it's you know it's got a few nuggets in there and it's quite good but i think to be honest everything that that's going to be a breakthrough in there is going to have been reported but um you know, I just like I like seeing F one on Netflix. It's just cool to me. It's, it's, it's Freddie's right. It's not for me, but the impact it's had has been absolutely huge. Millions. We're talking about millions of people who now watch F one. When two years ago that wasn't the case, and uh, just on a personal level, people are talking to me about F one more than ever. And after, and just because of Drive to Survive, yeah, yes, Freddie, it was great as well. But Drive to Survive has had a very positive impact overall for F1. Uh, and that you can't really argue against that. You, ultimately, F1's aim is to get more fans tuned in, get more engagement. And that's exactly what, what's happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much with Nigel. I think... I don't know. I, I wasn't, wasn't so much of a fan of last season. I think just this... Uh, I don't know. Everything that went on last season, it was a fantastic season 
on the track and I think there's a lot of kind of silliness going on off the track and that you know that's where Drive to Survive is that's kind of where it's it's meeting graveyard so uh, yeah I'll probably watch it I'm not kind of marking it in my calendar or drive you know counting down the days to it but I think like you say it is inarguable that it has had a huge impact on F1 and just opened it up to such a large fan base and there's talk of being a cycling um, a similar cycling drive to survive cycle to survive um well, there's so Seriously, many, aren't there? There's like... MotoGP Unlimited coming out four days afterwards. Mm. You've already had the um, Ashes to Ashes. Is that what I don't know what it's called? The cricket one, um, uh, which is on Prime Video, which is fantastic. There's a few others. There's a golf one as well. There's so many of these things that have taken the Drive to Survive model and have used it to grow their sport and successfully mm. have done. Um, and it's fantastic it that works. they've been able to do that. It does cool. work. That that's what I was that's what I was going on to. That I think you know the, the reaction of everyone towards the cycling one when it was just rumored before it was kind of even announced was just so positive because they've seen what it can do. And speaking, you know, speaking to fans here who kind of have watched Drive to Survive and then started watching F1 after it. I was talking to to someone who'd been watching it. Um, I think they they're kind of watching it through from season one and. Um, I think they're on season two and, and the Ricardo stuff. And I said, oh, and he ends up at McLaren. And they said, oh, you spoilt it, which kind of felt a bit, you know, it's not, a, not an actual TV show. But, you know, that it's just... It's how to people me, want to watch like, it. I, I think that's yeah, absolutely that, fine. That's a completely yeah, that was, fine that way was, to watch it. Yeah, I, that just kind of felt so educational to me. So I think it's fantastic. But at, at the same time, I agree. I'd like to see them kind of, you know, change it and freshen it up before I think it's, too long. And I don't, I don't want F1 to become kind of entertainment and... You know, I, I not. Or, you I know, know what not, you mean with that. It's just not entertainment sentence. first. Yeah, no, that is. I should have worded that better. I don't want it to be from entertainment first. And, um, you know, I, I hope they're kind of still working and just, um, tweaking it to make sure that it is kind of F1 leading drive to survive, not the other way around. I think what I, one thing, last thing I'll say on that is there's always a lot of criticism on, particularly for the season just gone. It's like, oh, I can't wait for the George and Mercedes episode of Drive to Survive, but it's kind of like. Well, you're never going to get it because what's great about F1 is that it knocks us for six every other week. We don't know what's going to happen. And Netflix can't follow that because particularly in COVID era, they've got to bubble up and stuff like that with teams. And they still have to now. And I think a lot of the criticism that gets stemmed at Drive to Survive is kind of like, oh, well, they didn't show this bit that I wanted to see more of. But it's kind of like, well, you've already arguably seen more of that than what they will show you. Um so I kind of think there's a lot of room for slack for Drive to Survive that isn't necessarily given the time of day, in my opinion, from a documentary making perspective, um, that you're never going to, they're never in 10 episodes, they're never going to have immense detail on stuff that um, happens in the moment that they're not really able to go and see, which is why in the last few years for season three and this season four just to come, there's a lot more F1 footage in there because they need to do that because, you know, that's the way of the world after a global pandemic. And I think we should commend them for being able to continue to produce this documentary series and for everyone doing this kind of stuff across sport and entertainment, to be honest, actually, it's a wider point. Like to be able to do this kind of stuff and to continue producing the content without delay is phenomenal. Mm. I, I completely agree. And coming, coming to university in America where I've done more kind of filming and more, um, TV and documentary stuff just seeing the a- absolute effort you know to to produce what 10 hours of uh, of drive to survive or however long it is you the amount of days and weeks 
of just solid work that is put into to produce those 10 hours is mind-blowing um so yeah i was missed that they didn't show williams i thought they could have had a you know from what claire williams said they had a fair amount of williams footage so i thought that was my uh, that was a grouch from last episode from last season but on the wider point yeah they are they are hamstrung and then covid and that's you know that's going to be the reality at least for this season maybe for for more seasons we don't know but yeah it, it will be yeah it will continue to be a huge asset to f1 and like i said we can see that from the way other sports are looking for these series and other fan bases are reacting to having these series you know tested about them anything else to add on any of that Oh, just watch it. Um, to be honest, even if you're going to gripe about it, watch it because there'll be stuff that you love about it. And um, I think I've got my housemates have known know more about Formula One now because of it, just because I just have it on in the background um, every now and again. It's seen on Netflix and yeah, I risk it sound like a broken record. It's really good just to give to someone who's your mate who you want to be into Formula One. It's really good for that. Well, there we go. Covered a lot in this episode and it's been a really good one. So, yeah, we'll be following the testing with interest and all of the other developments going on, particularly at Haas, where they come out of this week with and going into the season with. But that's everything for now. Thank you very much for listening, watching, however you are consuming our presence on the internet. Goodbye. <laughs>